What are the goals of intermittent fasting? Why do people do it in the first place? And what are the reasons? Why? These were some of the topics I talked about in my recent YouTube livestream. The goals of intermittent fasting. Unfortunately, the video had some issues. So this episode is gonna be the audio version of the YouTube livestream. The goals of intermittent fasting. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. As you can see from the title, then uh, uh, the topic of this live stream is going to be the goal of intermittent fasting. And uh, yeah, like that there are, you know, many ways to do intermittent fasting. There are many reasons why you would want to do intermittent fasting. And we're going to talk about these different scenarios, these different uh, methods in this live stream. And uh, before I continue on, or yeah, like uh, we can't just, I'll, I'll just, you know, if, you got, if you're watching this on a replay, then uh, you can, uh, you know, speed up the replay in some way or uh, skip to some of the more juiciest questions. <laughs> but awesome. So yeah, seems like the audio is uh, going uh, great and uh, we're rolling. Sounds good. That's good. And uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to maybe start off by talking about, you know, the different uh, goals or the different reasons why you would do intermittent fasting. And uh, generally, they're going to fall into, let's say, three, three main camps, in my opinion, or three main groups. Well, the first one is, of course, weight loss. And uh, in terms of uh, using intermittent fasting as a, as a tool for weight loss, then the main mechanisms for that is to kind of have this period of time-restricted feeding where you consume most of your calories within a smaller time frame. And uh, that is going to benefit uh, your weight loss in, in several ways. First of all, it's, it's, it can help you to eat fewer calories without feeling that you're depriving yourself. For instance, uh, if you have you know, uh, only 2000 calories per day to eat, then it may be more difficult for you to spread it out or it may be more difficult for you to stick to smaller meals of, let's say, only 500 calories per meal versus if you were to do intermittent fasting and you have, you know, less frequent meals, you eat your food within a smaller time frame, then uh, that's simply going to increase the total amount of calories within each meal. And uh, you don't necessarily feel like you're depriving yourself. You can kind of fit in more more uh, calorically dense foods that can uh, satiate you longer. And, you know, you, you can even, you know, squeeze in a few few of you know, additional treats so that's the, that's one of the best best perks for intermittent fasting as as a tool for weight loss you're gonna you know not feel you don't miss out on uh, some of the foods and you've probably seen some people doing some crazy diets with intermittent fasting and still eating a bunch of junk food and such and uh, they're still able to lose weight i'm not saying that it's necessarily healthy or something but you know it comes to show that uh as long as you still maintain a caloric deficit, you can kind of play with a lot of the calories and such. So uh, it can still work, so to say. Secondly, uh, while you're doing it for fasting, then uh, you will also kind of predispose yourself or you'll protect yourself against a lot of these uh, metabolic issues that uh, may, may arise, whether that be with a poor poor diet or or also like uh, protecting yourself against some of the negative side effects of dieting such as uh, lowering your metabolic rate as as well as like protecting against muscle loss for instance 
well, this study was done on mice, but not, not in humans. But uh, if, if, you've, if you've heard the, the about the research of Sachin Panda, then uh, they found in one of their one of their studies on mice that the rats or the mice who co consumed their food within eight hours lost significantly lo more uh, body fat than those mice who who were able to eat their food ad libitum, you know, throughout to a 24-hour period. And uh, those mice who were able to eat whenever they wanted, they still ate the same amount of calories, but they, they were, you know, still gaining weight versus the ones who were eating within... Uh, like the intermittent fasting schedule within eight hours or so, they they were able to still lose weight and they didn't get like diabetes because those rats were still fed like a really junk food diet with high high amounts of carbs and high amounts of fat. So it comes to show that the period of being in a fasted state has like a unique metabolic uh, benefit in terms of uh, you know preventing uh, or preventing the accumulation of oxidative stress so, or, and also like uh, the rise of blood sugar and such. So uh, the period of being in a fast state, of being in mild ketosis and triggering autophagy, those things uh, are very preventative against those things or against these a lot of these metabolic uh, disorders. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, that's a, like a good trade-off. You know, you, first of all, you will be able to not only promote fat loss but at the same time you also you know promote your health at the same time and you know it's convenient it's easy and uh, it works so to say it's very simple you just you, you get used to it quite fast and uh, once you kind of become keto adapted more or once you become more fat adapted once you teach your body or you condition your body to be able to burn those uh, fatty acids without needing to burn glycogen and glucose then uh, it becomes incredibly easy after a while before i carry on i'm gonna pick a random question to kind of bring some variation into the live stream is it better not to eat after high intensity exercise or after aerobic long run in terms of muscle building and fat burning uh, so is it better to eat after resistance training uh, if you want to build muscle or if you want to burn fat, well, uh, in my opinion, you would always want to eat after doing heavy resistance training or high intensity training because it will, first of all, it's going to promote recovery, uh, which is then allowing, it's going to promote muscle building or muscle growth if your goal is to build muscle. And even if your goal is to lose fat, then it's still a good idea to eat after resistance training because you're gonna you know repair the muscles and you're gonna maintain your muscles you're, you're gonna maintain more muscle mass whereas if you were to continue fasting after doing resistance training then you may predispose yourself to more muscle loss and in in both situations you want to maintain muscle mass not only for fat loss but also for like longevity muscle is good for living longer and being healthier in general but for fat loss if you lose your muscle during dieting, then it's going to become increasingly more difficult for you to, you know, continue dieting because muscle burns more calories and uh, muscle makes you more insulin sensitive and uh, muscle is incredibly vital. So you don't want to lose muscle, so to say. And, uh, and uh, that's why you would want to have like some sort of a post-workout meal that is going to recover your uh, resistance training exercise. And generally, you don't have to wait, you don't have to gonna chug down an immediate protein shake after working out or something. But usually, 
um, they they've they've done some studies that you know the muscle protein synthesis you know peaks about 60 to 95 minutes after after exercise so that's a good time window if your if your goal is to build muscle then you should have something within two hours something that is going to give you some protein and something uh, some extra calories that is going to enable you to build muscle but if you want to lose fat uh, then you can wait a few more hours after uh, resistance, resistance training without worrying about going catabolic, so to say. And uh, usually, in my in my own experience, I've seen that I'm able to fast for about you know four to five hours with no worries, uh, without you know going catabolic or without losing strength or muscle. But if you go longer, like six to eight hours fasting after exercise, then uh, it may kind of kind of make me weaker in the short term and I may potentially lose muscle so yeah usually it's a good idea to still have something within two hours of uh, after exercise but in terms of like uh, aerobic exercise then uh, this this is a somewhat somewhat of a different scenario because you're not causing uh, as much mus muscle tam muscle damage to uh, as you would with uh, resistance training so if you're doing cardio or aerobic training that is you know low intensity uh, then in that case you can kind of wait even longer without worrying about uh, going catabolic so to say if you kind of if you don't go very high intensity if you do it like within within the aerobic threshold then uh, I, I've, I've done I've done uh, these experiments where I'm doing uh, cardio about in the morning and I'm gonna still fast for like eight hours afterwards and I'm still perfectly fine and uh, it's it's good for fat loss but uh, it's not like yeah in my opinion fasted cardio isn't magic so to say you're not going to be burning a ton of more fat so to say you can still have some food in your system before you do cardio and that is going to simply protect you against any potential muscle loss or something so uh, you know the daily caloric the daily caloric intake is still gonna matter more than just just kind of backloading your or your color calories or something but uh, mo in most cases uh, i prefer to you know backload the calories i eat after after training all right we have a super chat for five dollars which is thank you but you didn't have any question <laughs> i would have okay I, you do have a question i'm gonna answer it like uh, practical advice based on science i'm in the best shape of my life and getting healthier my progression has been paleo keto calorie restrict 18 and 6 now omad keto locale and six hour dry fest awesome like <laughs> it's yeah it's kind of work it comes to show that a lot of people are getting you know i'm not i'm not i'm just not, it's just not not me who is spreading these information so to say like there are thousands and thousands of people online doing fasting and keto and it's very convenient so to say and it works and it makes more physiological sense once you get to know the science once you're actually gonna delve deeper into it and you know you look beyond just calories in calories out and yeah like uh, because you know the fasting is a good segue for talking about the second reason why people may want to do intermittent fasting beyond just weight loss and the second reason, in my opinion, is, you know, the longevity benefits of fasting. So that is one of the best parts of fasting that I think is, you know, somewhat underrated and uh, also like uh, something that most people would, or like you, they don't necessarily have to do intermittent fasting for fat loss. 
and I think uh, you know it's not the best way to go about fat loss, but uh, I would say that the longevity and uh, lifespan ex ex extension benefits of fasting are definitely something that would uh, be worth for everyone, and everyone should kind of incorporate in some different uh, aspect. And you know, yeah, one of the few known ways of doing of extending lifespan is in all species is through caloric restriction, uh, consuming fewer calories. And that is going to basically promote lifespan through many pathways and through many mechanisms, such as uh, it's going to suppress the insulin IGF-1 pathway, which is, you know, the it's, it's connected to the growth hormone and insulin and IGF-1. And the, the way these things work is through nutrient partitioning and nutrient storage. So insulin is the storage hormone and IGF-1 is also going to make the body grow in some in some sense or support the growth of new tissue and uh, muscle cells and bones but at the same time they can accelerate uh, the aging process if you take it too far if you are constantly anabolic if you have high levels of insulin all the time then that is going to basically accelerate aging and they've done some like a lot of studies in different species like fruit flies nematodes and mice and uh, monkeys where you know putting them on caloric restriction uh, and you know suppressing their insulin that that is that is you know very connect co correlated with increased lifespan and longevity and those things aren't actually like small increases they're actually like quite significant increases um, like uh, you know uh, mice they can live maybe up to like 30 percent longer or something and yeast you live up to like 100 percent longer <laughs> which is but you know, at the same time, those those diets they are put on are like very severe, severely caloric, calorically restricted, and they are uh, very you know near starvation, so to say, that which is keeping them alive. <laughs> but you know, in turn, in in context of human diets, then you don't necessarily have to be eating at a severe caloric restriction to gain the benefits of these lo of these longevity benefits of suppressing insulin insulin and IGF one, because uh, one of the reasons why uh, caloric restriction promotes longevity has to do with autophagy like in some studies when uh, you suppress autophagy but you put the mice on still on a like a calorically restricted diet then they're not going to live longer because they are not gaining the uh, recycling benefits of autophagy they don't recycle their cells but they're still eating fewer calories and that is gonna you know that that is going to prevent their mitochondria from be, being uh you know uh recycled and that is that is also going to not give them the increased lifespan benefits versus on the other hand if you do uh, allow autophagy to do its work and you still put them on caloric restriction then they will live longer so the key one of the key parts has to do with autophagy and uh, eliminating all these free radicals elim eliminating these dysfunctional components of the cells that uh, then tend to accumulate through the process of metabolism and uh, and simply living you know it's inevitable your, mit your mitochondria will get damaged simply by breathing even like if you breathe if you eat food if you get exposed to sunlight if you exercise if you you know move around those things they're damaging your mitochondria in some aspects and uh, if you don't and you know as you age your mitochondria will become slowly more dysfunctional they become more damaged so to say and autophagy uh, or mitochondrial autophagy called mitophagy is going to 
still maintain the functioning of your mitochondria and it's going to keep them more youthful so to say and for for autophagy to or to activate autophagy then you don't necessarily have to be eating at a caloric deficit all the time you know it's still a good idea to you know have you know these these periods where you do go into caloric deficit and uh, caloric restriction even like quite severe caloric restriction but at the same time it's not necessary to stay there for the long term you can you can do intermittent fasting uh, and consume the same amount of calories within a smaller time frame let's say within four hours or like an omad type of diet then you're still going to gain quite a lot of autophagy during a day and uh, you're not going to deprive yourself from calories uh, when you do eat so to say you can game the system that's like a real biohack that is why fasting can be thought of a like a biohacking caloric restriction and biohacking uh, autophagy process and yeah like um, daily time restricted feeding is a good idea in terms of like longevity boost boosting oh yeah but at the same time like it's a uh, somewhat controversial topic in terms of like uh uh, the autophagy isn't like a you know end all be all uh, it can become dysfunctional if you have too much autophagy like one of my videos recently talked about the dark side of autophagy and uh, usually if if it can kind of get in the way of maintaining muscle mass or if it, if it, it's get if it gets in the way of uh, uh, like uh, your sleep or circadian rhythms then uh, it's it can have some uh, negative side effects but in most cases it will definitely be more uh, useful. Uh, okay, you 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 want to lose ten more pounds, so uh, I would say that you know those ten pounds are somewhat more difficult for uh, doing it with you know thirty six hours or something. Like it depends on like again uh, what kind of an overall schedule you would like to stick to. Like um, if if uh, those 36 hours aren't enough for you to uh, break the plateau, then you can either, you know, test and experiment. You can either have, let's say, a 72-hour fast and then follow it up with proper refeed, or you can go back to like a one meal a day sort of uh, schedule for a few weeks and then decrease the total calories you consume within that OMAD uh, window. And uh, both, both work, you know, as long, you know, the final result is going to be determined by the weekly caloric intake so to say uh, but the potential or the problem with that may be that if you have been doing these 36 all the time then uh, you pro your body has kind of got used to it so to say and it would be maybe a good idea to gonna get off for it like a short period uh, do let's say OMAD for a week or so then go back into it and allow your body to recover because it's inevitable that you as you're dieting as you're losing body weight then your metabolic rate will decrease by by default, so to say, because you have less body mass, and uh, also like the fasting itself may cause like additional stress. And uh, if you're too stressed out, if if fasting becomes an additional stressor for you, and uh, like your sleep begins to suffer, or uh, you're not even able to exercise or whatever, then it's not going to be worth it, so to say, and it's going to simply overshoot cortisol, and that's going to it's going to ca cause this sort of a plateau. And the the way you break the plateau is to allow your body to recover for a bit and then go back into it. And for you, I would maybe yeah re recommend uh, going for OMAD a little bit, 
but still eating, you know, not 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 gonna gorge yourself on OMAD. You still have to be eating less food on OMAD, but uh, it would be uh, that sh short break is gonna be helping you to overcome this plateau. All right. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on with the third and final reason why people would want to do intermittent fasting. And uh, to kind of sum it up a little bit and then can carry on with the other questions. So the third reason why people would want to, or the third goal of intermittent fasting would be to achieve this sort of a more productive state throughout, throughout the day. And, uh, you know, when you are doing intermittent fasting, then the you do kind of feel very different. You do feel very sharp, mentally focused and uh, optimized. And the, the, the reason why this happens has to do with both the physiological effect on the brain, so to say, you have elevated levels of ketones, you have increased BDNF, you have, you know, slight adrenaline rush, some cortisol in your blood, and that is basically going to keep you in this very focused state throughout the day. And uh, the mental high is quite quite real if uh, every, any, anyone has fasted uh, for, and after you kind of, if you implement it also with like a low-carb diet with healthy fats, then you do feel very mentally sharp and you do feel very focused and concentrated. But secondly, there's also the psychological aspect to fasting that is going to enable you to be more productive and enable you to have more energy throughout the day, which is, you know, the the thing of not being so dependent on food and not having to think about it. Like, literally, um, I don't really get hungry. Uh, I don't really get hungry even after fasting for several days. You know, if I do get some sort of discomfort or something, the desire to eat, then in most cases it's not like a physiologic or it's not a it's not a it's not a physical requirement uh, to eat, so to say. It's more of like a simply habit. It's more something that is going to pass away after a while. Maybe I'm dehydrated a little bit. I'll just drink a little bit of water and I'll get back to whatever I'm doing. And in most cases, like um, if you look at the amount of energy you carry around with you at all times on your body fat then the problem is never that you're really hungry the problem is that your brain is you know craving for some energy and that is going to cause some sort of a some sort of a response whether that be some sugar cravings or hunger and uh, the way you overcome that is to you know allow it's 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 uh, overcome by conditioning the brain to accept more ketone bodies during fasting and becoming more fat adapted and you know the uh, the way the, in my opinion like the fasting itself is like one of the best nootropics and the ways of being more productive and not only for that but it can also liberate you from the entire kind of attachment to food that some people have like uh, you know let's say some person is very focused on you know, eating all the time, they're focused on diet, they like to have like really delicious, delicious meals all the time. And they don't, they feel, you know, not satisfied, they don't feel fulfilled if they don't get to eat, for instance, if they have to skip breakfast, or if they don't get to eat the their favorite types of foods, whatever that may be, like uh, fasting kind of resets those uh, signals or resets those desires. After you kind of have like a longer fast, or after you adopt more like a time-restricted feeding uh, schedule, then you kind of 
liberate yourself from those things and uh, you, you kind of reset your taste buds, you become more desensitized to the food, you're actually going to physically go also going to decrease your gut size, so to say, and uh, you will be uh, more satisfied with eating less food, which is, you know, healthy, which is uh, good for body composition, which is good for finance, which is good for the, which is good for the environment, whatever, or everything is going to be improved by people eating slightly less food. And the fasting is going to help to, you know, overcome this psychological barrier towards eating, so to say, or being so dependent on food. And it's like uh, the productivity aspect is going to be through the roof or the productivity gains uh, will be through the roof in, uh, in, in most cases. Okay, it looks like there were some connection issues, but I'm back. And uh, there are definitely more goals for intermittent fasting that uh, will uh, be, or that can be applied. I can, you know, even add a, f a few more, which would be like, you know, preventing diabetes or curing diabetes or something, curing cancer, uh, curing tumors, something there. In many animal studies, uh, they do have like uh, fasting is going to be, used against cancer treatment and such and in humans um, it can be used to treat a lot of other medical conditions and also like you know we, we mentioned the other other benefits as well like life extension uh, fat loss improved insulin sensitivity and also like uh, convenience productivity and such cognitive powers your brain will be like literally on fire <laughs> or <laughs> it's going to be on fire with ketones uh, if you are fasting, and that's gonna, you know, prevent against neurodegeneration as well. And, and funny enough, like the process of autophagy can actually clear out the beta amyloid plaques that get that get accumulated uh, in the uh, in the uh, progression of Alzheimer's. So, like literally, you're uh, cleaning out the house, and uh, it's one of the best ways of uh, promoting. Not only like uh, your lifespan, but also like health span. There's a difference between living longer and living longer while being healthy. Like you can you can literally live over 100, but if you are still hospitalized all the time, then it's not like like a really good quality life. Versus a good long health span is uh, this idea of you're still able to function physically and mentally as you get older like you don't have cognitive decline you don't ha you don't suffer from sarcopenia and you don't suffer from some other sort of you know uh, neurodegeneration or some some something else you're still able to function and be really you know fit as long as you kind of as long as you implement fasting with uh, like exercise with proper sleep circadian rhythms other biohacks with maybe like sauna, saunas are amazing, cold exposure, those things are literally like the best recipe for uh, longevity and increased uh, health span. And that is actually going to be the topic of my next book, uh, how to do this sort of uh, intermittent fasting as well as resistance training for both uh, longevity as well as uh, you know, building muscle and losing fat. So kind of combining the benefits of both worlds. And you can expect to get it maybe within a few a few months. I'm trying to get it out uh, by January 2019. So it's finished, but uh, I'm simply 
going through some of final edits and such and I'll definitely be you know sneak peeking it <laughs> throughout the month of December on different channels and podcasts and uh, this channel uh, uh, will dehydrating yourself prior to a dry fast with a workout increase its effectiveness uh, not not well I wouldn't say that it would make it more effective like uh, the the effect of the dry fast would depend on like how long you're gonna actually dry fast afterwards so to say like if you dehydrate yourself before then it would be simp- you wouldn't be able to fast longer so to say uh, you would you would uh, become you would enter the hormetic hormetic zone of the fasting window faster if you deplete yourself the same with like going on a longer fast uh with with diet like if you eat low carb before starting the fast then you will enter into ketosis faster you will uh, trigger autophagy faster and uh, you will you know basically gain the benefits of the fast within a smaller time frame so to say if you have your glycogen stores all filled out and you ate a bunch of carbs before starting the fast, then it's going to take you simply longer to enter into this therapeutic zone because you have to burn through the glycogen first. So, you know, I would suggest maybe simply uh, hydrating yourself properly before going on a dry fast with, you know, uh, not actually drinking a bunch of water, but getting the hydration from uh, vegetables and maybe fruits a little bit because th- those things are more easily absorbed. Uh, it's like, like the, the, the water in vegetables and fruit is more like structured water, which is, which is different from regular water and uh, is more hydrating, so to say. Uh, red light therapy improves mitochondrial function. That is correct, that is correct. Uh, say whatever comes to mind about autophagy in relation to cold shock hormesis, even heat shock. Mm. Well, the some of the you know the, these pathways of hormesis and uh, these activities of cold shock and heat shock proteins they are mediated a lot through the same mechanisms of suppressing insulin and suppressing IGF-1 as well as increasing these other pathways uh, such as sirtuins and uh, FOXO, FOXO proteins. So sirtuins and FOXO proteins are these transcription fra- factors that enable the organism to adapt to high-stress environments. For instance, if you are taking an ice bath, then you will trigger a bunch of these FOXO proteins and... Uh, part of the reason why the organism is going to adapt to the colds is through these uh, FOXO3 and such. And uh, that is that is going to trigger a lot of, you know, the mitochondrial biogenesis that is also going to promote, um, let's say, uh, more fat oxidation and uh, that is also going to stimulate, uh, it's not going to stimulate autophagy directly, but uh, a lot of the reasons why, in, in the example of FOXO3, you wouldn't stimulate autophagy with FOXO proteins, but you will uh, get some autophagy if you have activated sirtuins. So both, both ways work, so to say. The stress adaptation, low levels of insulin, low levels of 
low levels of like energy deprivation that is you know all these pathways are very inter interconnected with each other so to say like uh, uh, being energy depleted whether through caloric restriction whether through glucose restriction whether by taking an ice bath whether by being in a sauna whether by doing high intensity interval training those things will activate ampk and it's like a downstream effects of these elevated sirtuins as well as lowering the anabolic environment of the body and if your body is going to have less anabolism then it's going to switch over into adapting to the catabolic stressor so to say and become stronger against it and and uh these autophagy will be elevated by simply having the necessity for being more catabolic and surviving this sort of a stress stressful situation uh, but uh, yeah it's a rabbit hole uh, what is when is the best time to exercise during your fast before 16 hours pass um well, depends again on like how long is your fasting uh, window. Like uh, I would suggest that if you would like to uh, exercise in a fasted state, then you would have to make sure that you will have like the food at least like two hours after after working out or something. That would be like a good two to three hours at max. Like uh, that would be a good uh, time window to break the fast after exercising. But in terms of like if you are if your fasting window is 16 hours or let's say 18 hours, then you can break the fast that that 18 hours have like a smaller meal, go to the gym after an hour or so, have a workout and then have consume the few, less, rest of your calories uh, in the post workout scenario. That would be in my opinion more uh, advisable for like muscle growth as well as general maintenance because you will have some food in your system if you are exercising so it would be always more uh, muscle preserving if you are exercising with some amino acids in your blood and uh, that would be more of like a wiser wiser strategy but if you are exercising let's say for if you are fasting for like 20 hours then you can have the exercise at let's say hour 19 or something and then you're gonna break the fast maybe like an hour afterwards which is also fine like you you just have to manipulate the intensity of the exercise and you have to make sure that you refeed properly after the exercise like as long as you get enough protein as long as you get enough calories and you don't do like crazy hit type of <laughs> type of training then it's gonna be all fine. It's not gonna affect the twenty-four hour anabolic uh, catabolic uh, cycle or the or the balance between muscle breakdown and muscle synthesis. Omad has changed my life in so so many amazing ways. Dropped sixty pounds in nine months. I'm five feet seven and now weigh one hundred and fifty-five pounds. Wow, that's that's fucking freaking amazing. Uh, yeah, like. Omad is really convenient, so to say, for weight loss and uh, and uh, even like maintenance. If I if I if I didn't have like if on days that I'm not exercising, then uh, I will simply eat Omad. Like there isn't gonna be a physical reason to be eating any more frequently, and uh, it's not like gonna be uh, like it's not gonna be any issues. But if I were to try to build muscle or something. For instance, in your cases, you're now like 155 pounds and you're trying to build muscle now, 
then it would be a good idea to maybe lengthen the t uh, the eating window a little bit, like uh, going for maybe 20, 20 hours and four, or having two meals uh, within like 16 and eight or 18 and six, something something along the lines of that. But you know, OMAD can also work if you have it like, if you have it like uh, very well planned out, and if you have like a really good quality nutrition, both like in macronutrients and micronutrients. Many people are modifying ketogenic diet to become more carnivore. Former vegetarians are becoming carnivore. <laughs> yeah, like it's a, it's a like quite a quite a trend at the moment for people to hate vegetables and hate broccoli and they're gonna go all meat. Uh, well, in in my opinion, like it's which is fine, like in in the short term and such. But uh, I would say that more it will be in most cases it will be more sustainable for people to still you know, have like, like some vegetables. And I, I say that I think like the benefits of these polyphenols and the benefits of these uh, antioxidants and such, there will be more longevity. Like a carnivore diet isn't like a 100% longevity optimized diet. So let's, let's say like that. Like uh, you would still um, be able to, you know, lose fat or you would still be able to elevate ketones a little bit and, you know, reduce inflammation and reduce some gut issues that you have, fix your autoimmune conditions or what something else. But I'm simply going to say that it's not like 100% longevity oriented. The goal isn't even longevity. So I don't know. Uh, I would still, a, a wiser move or let's say more evolutionary even, or let's like even like a more strategic move would be to incorporate plants and even to incorporate some carb refeeds and imp implement some... Uh, other you know dietary interventions and supplements and herbs and spices that are pro longevity but aren't going to be necessarily you know carnivore or even keto like uh, the the goal is you know to each his own what's what what's their goal with their diet you don't you don't necessarily want to bang, you don't want to uh, put all of your bets on one single method which hasn't been even like proven to work in the long term like super long term Um, raw uncooked broccoli is goitrogenic and depletes iodine and disrupts thyroid well yeah like uh no one no one has you don't have to eat like broccoli a lot like it's not it's also like dose dependent if you of course if we are eating like one kilogram of raw broccoli then of course it can uh, inhibit your thyroid and at the same time, usually when people are eating that much broccoli or that many raw vegetables, then they're doing it as a way to kind of restrict their calories, so to say. They want to eat more food in volume without necessarily over-consuming calories. And they're simply eating those, they're eating those vegetables as a way of, you know, filling themselves up. And usually it is accompanied by also like caloric restriction. So it is kind of funny to think about okay is the down regulation in thyroid caused by the vegetables or is it caused by the caloric restriction that is usually you know accompanied by the consumption of raw vegetables like most people who would eat like broccoli uh, or e of people who would eat broccoli but they still get enough calories they still get enough all the other micronutrients and they even maybe bulking or something then they're not necessarily going to downregulate their thyroid because they're getting like a caloric surplus. The thyroid uh, may be more sensitive to caloric restriction, definitely, rather than the vegetables, I would imagine.
Keto doesn't work for 50% of population. Well, it's not gonna be necessary for for the entire population even like uh, it's it's of course keto isn't a panacea and it's it shouldn't be thought of as the end all be all like uh, some people may feel more better about it some people aren't simply gonna be able to stick to it because of poor dietary habits or because of being attached to carbohydrates or some sort of else and it's not even necessary like you don't have to do keto you it's simply like a way of doing it and and it's also like uh, some in some in some situations it is more beneficial in some situations it is not of course like some people don't even have the metabolic requirements for doing keto and uh, some genetic variants can also be uh, somewhat uh, somewhat important so to say Uh, I really eat in 8 to 10 hour window and it's working for me for weight loss. Combined with 20 grams carbs, the weight is dropping pretty quick. Thanks, Seam. Well, awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, really, really simple. It's easy. Uh, uh... Keto IF is a good preventive medicine and mitigation of Alzheimer's, dementia, and all manner of carb-caused brain rot diseases. <laughs> well, they do refer to Alzheimer's as type three diabetes, so uh, that is going that goes to show that what's causing those issues, so to say, and it's not necessarily the carbs. The problem is very these very frequent bouts of insulin hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance as well as hypoglycemia, like whenever you are running on a sugar burning engine and uh, you don't get access to food or something, you go into hypoglycemia or you get like some sort of energy crisis, then you're going to cause damage to the brain. And that's why being keto adapted is much more useful for uh, keeping the brain energized throughout the day. You don't need glucose because most of the uh, energy the brain does need will be covered by ketones and the small amount of glucose the brain and other tissues does need uh, that can be covered with like uh, the gluconeogenesis of your fat like literally converting your body fat into glucose and giving it to the brain as well as you you, you can still eat like some vegetables and you can get some carbs from that like uh, the amount of carbs your body needs is uh, very lower than people think like uh, carbs aren't an essential nutrient but at the same time some tissues and uh, some organs need some glucose so uh, but the amount of the glucose isn't that big you don't you don't have to justify that with eating pop tarts <laughs> to give your brain energy but you know of course like healthy carbs are still fine like i'm not condemning carbs and i do eat carbs as a, in a cyclical manner like uh, like I usually accompany it with more frequent uh, exercise exercise schedule. Like if I'm working out harder, if I'm working out more frequently, then it would be a good idea to have some carbs around because you're going to be burning more glycogen and such. But on a habitual basis, my default is going to be lower levels of insulin, lower blood glucose, uh, higher ketones, and uh, lower IGF-1 and such, so that uh, I would be in this metabolically 
uh, ketotic region or zone. Mm -mm. All right, we're starting to reach 45 minutes of the live stream. And I'm going to basically wrap it up again as well. I'm going to take my last question before I leave. Um, let's make let's make it a good one. Something something to think about after a post live stream. Keto puts stress on body and it has to do gluconeogenesis all the time. Well, like uh, gluconeogenesis isn't necessarily like a huge stressor to the body. Like uh, it's uh, context dependent of like how much gluconeogenesis are you causing. And actually, if uh, if you are in ketosis, then you don't actually become very gluconeogenic because uh, you, there is no reason to be producing keto or the, you don't have to be producing glucose. Like a glucogen gluconeogenesis is a more like a demand driven process. For instance, if your brain does need glucose, then it will trigger gluconeogenesis. But if you don't need to trigger, if, you, if your brain doesn't need that much glucose, then the demand for gluconeogenesis will also be much lower, so to say. Like, uh, like I mentioned just beforehand, the brain is can, can be covered with ketones and uh, the small amount of gluconeogenesis that may happen is like simply like a byproduct of natural metabolism even. For instance, if you were to be eating a high-carb diet that is not going to put you into ketosis, then uh, you would experience higher rates of gluconeogenesis on caloric restriction. Or if you are fasting, then you would experience higher rates of gluconeogenesis just because there is more demand for glucose like you're running on your your metabolism is running on glucose it's its primary fuel source it hasn't become that fat adapted and that is also going to create more demand for glucose in that situation you would be more gluconeogenic whenever you're not eating of course you can circumvent the demand for glucose by you know eating six times a day <laughs> or such uh, but uh, you know it's it's simply not and that's advisable in my opinion and uh, I would you know prefer being in a state where my body doesn't need to be producing glucose through gluconeogenesis and that can be accompanied by becoming more fat adapted and uh, providing the body with the alternative to glucose which is ketones and also fatty acids like uh, muscle tissue can use triglycerides from fatty, fatty acids and uh, the ketones themselves will be still simply used for the brain and uh, some other metabolic processes, but in most cases you don't need uh, that. You don't need to be gluconeogenic. It's like the the, the idea is that if you are on keto, of if you are like some sort of a high protein type of keto diet, then uh, you'll be you'll be always gluconeogenic, and uh, that's not the case because uh, you know once you enter into ketosis, then the demand for gluconeogenesis is greatly reduced. And uh, you don't need to be, you know, burning your muscle tissue or you don't need to be even doing that. And it's not even going to be a stressor. Like, the, the amount of stress your body ha can handle is depend, up, depend upon, like, the general overall stress. Like, diet or eating food is just one thing. Like, you, you will be more catabolic and you will break you will cause more damage to your body with like sleep deprivation or too much exercise or i don't know uh, starvation whatever it is uh, instead of glucose or instead of keto like or instead of eating
All right. Um, well, that's it for this live stream. Uh, I appreciate everyone who, you know, watched it and who tagged along. So uh, you can expect maybe like uh, another live stream for the next week or next week. I cannot. Sure, sorry about that. But yeah, the week with the week after that. But other than that, you know, share it around if you wanna. If you have some people who are trying to, you know, try out the keto diets or if they're interested about it, then first of all, yeah, they should learn about doing fasting. They should learn about ketosis and such, because at the end of the day, it, the all responsibility is on you and. Uh, it's simply a way of, uh, you know, going about it. All right, that's it for this episode. If you want to support this podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. I also recently published this free ebook about intermittent fasting. It's called The Full Guide to Intermittent Fasting. If you want to get this ebook, then head over to seamland.com forward slash full guide to intermittent fasting free book. I'll leave the link into the show notes. And uh, you can check it out. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind.